If you've got your Bibles, we're in our series called Reboot. So get your Bibles out, your sermon notes there in your worship guide or your YouVersion Bible app. I have the sermon notes available for you there as well. Let's open up Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Woo! Just excited, pumped about the Bible, about the Word of God. Galatians chapter 5, Reboot. Reboot, we've been talking about this our second week. And I, we talked about last time, have you ever had one of those devices, maybe it's your computer, it's locked up, you know, and you call technical support and they say, you know, what should I do? And they tell you to reboot, restart it, turn it off, turn it back on. You know, it's a simple fix for a lot of things. And we found out in our lives, there's some things that uh, get locked up, things that are going on in our lives that we need to shut down and reboot again. There's some thoughts in our lives sometimes that we need to take advantage of Powering those thoughts down and powering up new ones. Here's the definition of reboot. Got it there in your notes. It means to shut down and restart a computer device or program. To start up again after closing or shutting down to boot up again. So again, the purpose or the idea behind it is to make sure we understand that rebooting is about two key facets. If you're going to reboot anything in your life, it involves two steps. Number one, we've got to power some things off. Close down or shut some things down. And then we power up or restart some other things. So this is a great time for us. We're right in the middle, right in, right in the middle, right at the beginning, I guess you could say, of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. If you're new to the roads or you're watching online, every year, the first 21 days, we set aside specially just to seek after God. And we, we fast, you know, either with our food or whatever else that God's putting on our hearts to do to kind of shut some things down that we normally do and power up things in the spirit. And this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what things should we power down and what things should we power up. And prayer and fasting is a great way, a great way for us to engage God on a whole new level, reprioritize, reassess our goals, redefine winning in our lives. Okay, what is really important? So this is what we're doing for these first 21 days. We started on Wednesday and uh, we're looking forward to seeing what God wants to do in this because our goal is for you and I to live our best life. You ever heard anybody say that? It's kind of a phrase now they use, living my best life. You know, I've heard my kids say that before. Well, I believe living our best life is when we're connected with God and living according to his purpose for our life. I don't think it's necessarily, you know, it's not about, well, living my best life is coming to church. It's bigger than that. It's bigger. I'm all for coming to church. Please keep coming to church. But I want you to take a next step and get connected to God on a relational level so that you're living your best life because you're connected to the one who loves you the most. We have a core value. We say it this way. We pursue our green, living from and for his purpose. I believe God's purpose in your life is the place that you're going to flourish the most. I believe when you found the purpose that God has for you is the place where you're going to find the most enjoyment and the most fulfillment. So let's look at what it says here in Galatians chapter 5. As we talk about this and, and as we do our fasting, I'm going to insert this quickly too. In your prayer and fasting, always, man, we did this Wednesday night. And if you're, if you're missing our first Wednesday, and maybe you have to work or whatever and you can't come, but if you're just staying away because you don't think it's a big deal, you are missing first Wednesday. It was awesome. I encourage you, always come out on first Wednesday. It's different than what we've done in the past. We're just going for it on uh, that first Wednesday night. But we talked about the importance of a fast 
The importance is to make sure we're concentrating on seeking him. That the fast is not supposed to be focused on what I'm doing without. The fast is supposed to be focused on who I'm pursuing. So it's about loving him, going after him, not about, well, I can't do this, I can't do that. No, don't focus on that. That's depressing. I was saying yesterday, I was watching TV, it's like every single commercial was about food. This big, long strand of pizza or, you know, these steaks fix it or they're doing all. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. Not. You know, so it's about in those moments, I got to remember, what am I doing this? Who am I doing this for? What am I going after? And this is what we want to talk about today in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. I'm just going to read through it. I've been reading out the New King James Version. It says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you as beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now here we're talking about defining the flesh. I'm going to read it to you out of the Passion Translation because you can read some of those words and they're like, I don't even understand some of those words. What does that mean, lewdness? You know, depending on what you read out of the King James Version, they get, get, words can get, you know, this long. You're like, what does that mean? I'm going to read it to you out of the Passion Translation because what it's about is you and I defining and understanding what he's talking about when he says the flesh. So here's what, he, what I'm going to give you to give it to you in the Passion Translation. It says, the cravings of the self-life are obvious. Sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality is sexual immorality in all forms. Heterosexual as well as homosexual. Some people want to bash and bang on homosexuality, but they're okay with having sex with their boyfriend and girlfriend. Sexual immorality involves all types of sexual immorality. Are, are we clear? Yeah. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying I'm making it plain and simple so we understand that some people are like, yes, no against homosexuality, but I still have sex with my boyfriend and girlfriend. It's the same. Yeah. It's the same in God's eyes. Yeah. I'm not saying it's the same like it's okay. I'm just telling you God looks at it the same. So fornication, sexual immorality is what he's talking about. Uh, when we're reading this list, I want to look at it and say, are there any things that I'm dealing with? Some of those other words didn't make sense. Yeah, that's probably somebody else. Let's look at if there are any of these words that we can deal with. Deal with. Okay, sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God. As a hush comes over the crowd. <laughs> Manipulating others. Anybody ever manipulated someone? Anybody ever tried to manipulate your spouse? Just look down at the Bible. Nobody think a thing about it. Just look forward. Hatred of those who get in your way. We're talking about our flesh now. Senseless arguments. Have you ever seen a senseless argument on social media? 
You're like, they just keep going on and on. The thread just keeps replying. You're like, you want to tell them, stop. This is a ridiculous argument. He says, stay away from senseless arguments. Okay, maybe that doesn't apply to you. Resentment when others are favored. Mm. Yeah. Temper tantrums. I'm not talking about just two-year-olds. You could be 62. And anywhere in between or beyond. Temper tantrums. Notice what it says. Angry quarrels. What are we talking about? These are things of the flesh. Only thinking of yourself. Woo. Hit me, Jesus. Hit me, Jesus. Only thinking of myself. Being in love with your own opinions. Anybody ever loved your own opinion? Yeah, this is the flesh. This is stuff we've got to deal with. This is the reality of where we live. We can sit in here and act holy because we're in church and say, well, I'm not one of you those sexually immoral people. Yeah, but do you love your own opinion? Do you ever have selfish thoughts? Just stuff to think about. How about this one? Being envious of the blessings of others. Come on. You know, God spoke this to my heart not too long ago. I wrote it down one day. He said, Chad, if you you were truly excited about the blessing, then you would rejoice whenever you see it, even if it's not in your life. Look what it says. He says, Envious of the blessing of others. How many times we see others get blessed and we start tearing apart their qualifications to be blessed. And we start justifying our qualifications to be blessed. They, they don't deserve, I know what they're like. What in the world? They don't, that, what happened? How come I didn't get envious of other people's blessing? If we truly love the blessing, then we'll get excited when we see it wherever it is, even if it's not in my life. When I see the blessing happening in somebody's life, oh, whoa, that's awesome. Why? That's the blessing. I recognize it. And that's what I'm looking for in my life. So I'm going to rejoice for it wherever I see it instead of being selfish and only rejoicing when it happens to me. Somebody help me this morning. It's what we do. Get envious, selfish. So these are the flesh that we're talking about. Murder, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and all other similar behavior. Haven't I already warned you that those who use their freedom for these things will not inherit the kingdom realm of God? Notice what it says, those who use their freedom. Here's the great thing about God and the challenging thing about God is he gives us the freedom to do whatever we want. We can operate in this list, in all of it or some of it, anytime we want, we have the freedom. He says, but whoever chooses to use their freedom to continually live in this will not inherit the kingdom realm of God. God's saying this list of things and the like So lots of other things that aren't on the list. But he's saying this type of living, you will not inherit the kingdom realm of God because the realm of God does not function in these things. The realm of God is not selfish. The realm of God does not seek its own. The realm of God is not envious of others when they're blessed. That's what he's telling us. So now we see what the flesh is talking about. Let me go and finish this in verse 22 since you're excited about those, that list of things right there. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Man, some of those things hit me right between the eye. 
For real. It's like you're like, well, I, you know, I'm really a spiritual person. I really don't have those problems. Being like, oh, being in love with your own opinion? Sometimes I really like my opinion. But let me go on. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified, everybody say crucified, the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now see this passage of Scripture. We're talking about the contrast between two things. You'll see it throughout this passage of Scripture. Flesh and Spirit. What is the flesh? What is flesh? It's a Greek word that literally was used to describe after the skin was peeled back of an animal, the meat of an animal. So it's talking about the flesh part of an animal. But it grew to be defined for us from a moral standpoint, from a godly standpoint, as the aspect of human nature, reasoning and desires, which contrast with those aspects of human thought and behavior which relate to God and the spiritual nature. So it became to be known as the outside, the flesh, or the outer man, what we would talk about in the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the outer man. So all of us as human beings, we have both of these things. We have a flesh and we have spirit. We have a human nature and we, some of that human nature, our desires go against the nature of God. So as we look at flesh, here's a, a, maybe a basic way to describe it. Human nature outside of God. That's the flesh. That's the flesh. Now what's spirit? Spirit is the Greek word pneuma, which means a current of air or breeze, a breath, literally a breath, supernatural, non-material being or spirit. So each and every one of us has both of these. We have flesh and we have spirit. Now let me break down what I mean by each one of them have spirit. And let me describe the spirit to you. In John chapter 4 verse 24 it says this, God is spirit, same word, pneuma. God is pneuma, breath, supernatural, non-material being, spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God is spirit. God is not a male. I don't need to burst any bubbles. Just because we call him father and the Bible calls him he, he is not a male. He's a spirit. Because both male and female came out of him. It's not bad. I'm not bashing on either side. I'm just saying God isn't a man. He's spirit. Spirit is not attached to the gender. And we could go in great detail in teaching this about how God split himself off and put some of himself in the man and some of himself in the woman. And when the two come together, we get the fullness of God. This is why two become one flesh. We're not teaching on that. Move on. So God is spirit, right? Okay. Is God spirit? So God's not a man. We're not saying he's man and woman. He's both, male and female. So now if God is spirit, look at Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female. So God created man in his own image. Genesis 5.1 says God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. So now if God is spirit and he created male and female in his image and in his likeness, what are we at our core? We are spirit. We're spirit. We're spirit first and we have flesh. 
Okay, you're not sold yet. That's all right. Look at Genesis 2-7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. God formed Adam's body, formed man out of the dust of the ground. So he has flesh. He has a body, but he is not alive yet. Notice what happened. God breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. Pneuma, breath of life. It's not the Greek word pneuma. It's a Hebrew word, but it means the same thing, breath. So God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and now this flesh became a living being. When did it become a living being? Not till the spirit was in it. This is so important for me to lay this foundation because we need to know, not everybody knows, they are a spirit being first who happens to live in a temporary tent on earth called flesh. This is just my body. It's just my house I'm living in. I'm renting this place. But I've got an eternal existence called my spirit. See, we are not just human beings or fleshly beings. We are spiritual beings. We are living and breathing because God breathed into us the breath of life. This is why you can keep this body alive on a machine. You can keep it breathing. I'm not alive because I breathe in oxygen and breathe out carbon dioxide. I'm alive because the Spirit of God is on the inside of me. Because he's breathed, let me clarify it this way, he's breathed the breath of life in me. So I'm alive because of the breath of life. This is why you can keep a body alive, but the Spirit is already gone. Anybody ever seen that? There's a person on life support, their body is responding, but as soon as you take off life support, there's nothing there. That's because the spirit is already gone. Okay? So that's what we're breaking down. You say, Chad, why are you going in such detail? Because I want us to understand the difference of our flesh and our spirit. Okay? It's really important. So now what is the condition of our spirit? If you say, Chad, I'm a spirit being, okay, got that. God breathed into me, breath of, not, breath of life. I'm a spirit being who lives in a tent. Check, got that. What is the condition of our spirit? The condition of our spirit is determined by birth. Here's what I mean by that. Whether my spirit is alive to God or dead to God is determined by birth. Everyone that was born after Adam, because Adam and Eve sinned, everyone that was born after Adam, which means all of us, we are, <laughs> little secret, we're all born after Adam, we're all born into sin. So when you're born into this world, your spirit is dead to God. Now, we can get into semantics about children, and if they pass away when they're children, they go and be in the presence of God. I believe that wholeheartedly. But I'm just talking about we need to be born again to have a relationship with God. You're tracking with me so far. Ephesians 2 says it this way. And why am I trying to explain the condition of our spirit? If we don't understand our condition without God, we won't appreciate our need for God. Let me say that again. If we don't understand our condition without God, we won't appreciate our need for God. We will say things like this. I'm a good guy. I'm a good gal. I never killed anybody. I don't hurt anybody. I don't cheat on my spouse. I go to work. I, you know, I'm, an, I'm honest. I'm a good guy. I think I'm going to get into heaven. I think God will smile on me. I'm a good person. No, he won't. We are not going to heaven based on our goodness. We were born into sin. 
I don't care how great a guy or gal I am, I will not go to heaven based on Chad's goodness. So my spirit is dead. In Ephesians 2, it says it this way, and you he made alive who were dead, talking about our spirit, in trespasses and sins. He wants to walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit. This is talking about a person who's dead to God, walking in the flesh. Look at verse 3. And among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Look at that part of the verse. It says, when we're uh, in the lust of our flesh and fulfilling the desires of our flesh, he says, we conduct ourselves. Conductor. When I think of a conductor, I don't think about choo-choo train. When I think about a conductor, I think about an orchestra or symphony. I played in band. I played the trumpet. And, and in band, you have a band director, a band leader. If you have an orchestra uh, or a symphony, something like that, they've called it a conductor. When I think about conducting yourselves, he says, we conduct in this condition where we're dead to the Spirit of God. We conduct ourselves. What the band director would do is if he would want me to play the brass section, to play out in a certain section, he'd be going along in the song and he'd do something like this. And it was saying, come on, Chad, play that lovely horn that you play so well. That's what he was saying. He was saying, more Chad. That's what he was saying. More not necessarily. But anyway, he would direct and maybe he'd tell this area to be quiet, shh, quiet down. Percussion here. And then maybe another one. He'd say more percussion, whatever. He's conducting and directing response of the orchestra, right? Well, this is what happens when we allow our flesh to conduct ourselves. Then remember that list that we just, just read? Then now our flesh acts as the conductor. And when something comes up, our flesh tells us what to do. Something happens, somebody pipes off at you. Ah, yes, temper, come on, come on, temper, more temper, more rage. Yes, yes, let it go. Tell them how you feel. Come on, cuss them out, flip them off. Tell them, tell them, tell them more. Flesh, yeah. Feel rejected, feel mistreated. Come on, pout, sulk about it. Come on, sulk, pout. Give them the cold ice treatment. Come on, don't talk to them for a couple days. Come on, come on, I love that, just pout. Just enjoy yourself, Right? When our flesh is conducting our lives, we respond to things according to how we feel. So how I feel determines what I do. What, I, when I, what I feel determines what I do. My flesh is at the helm. Feel unappreciated? Then just, just don't do anything. Come on, you'll show them. Just stop. Stop giving. Stop helping. Stop, help, stop loving them. Okay, they reject you. <laughs> okay, I can do that too. I'll reject you. Boom. How about I reject you before you reject me? Okay, flesh is just conducting an orchestra. That's what happens. We have a little, a little self-symphony going on. So this is how we conduct ourselves. So how do we change that condition? Remember, we cannot change the condition of my dead spirit unless I'm born again. John 3, 3 says this, that you must be born again. Our spirit, born out of the womb, is dead to God until the day that we make Jesus the Lord of our lives and ask him to come in and we apply his blood to our heart and he makes our dead uh, Titus 3 says that the Holy Spirit comes in and makes our dead spirit alive to God. 
This is what happens. So we got to be born again. So when we're born again, we can begin to change and begin to transform. Because look what's happening. Why do we need to know the difference between the flesh and the spirit? Look at verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit. Now, when I say the word lust, most people automatically think sexual. That's not, the word lust right here is neutral. It just means desire or longing. So the flesh has desires or longings that go against the spirit and the spirit has desires or longings that go against the flesh and these are contrary to one another. Now the word contrary means that they're opposite. They oppose one another. They lie opposite of one another. So it's telling me that I've got desires or cravings or longings in my flesh that go against what God wants to do in my life. And look what happens. He says, when this happens, he says, they're contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. How many ever experienced this in your life? There's things that you don't want to do anymore and you keep finding yourself doing them. You tell yourself, you swear up and down. Next time that happens, I'm going to respond differently. Next time my wife does that, I'm not going to respond that way. Next time my husband says that, I'm not going to respond that way. But in the moment when it happens, <laughs> next time I see a post about me, I'm not going to respond to it. Next time I have those thoughts, and so we find ourselves, or I'm wanting to do something right, and I struggle to do it. How many times have you heard this said? Man, I need to read my Bible more. I need, I, need, I need to spend more time in prayer talking to God. Why do we struggle with that? Why do you ever have an issue with doing that? Because you have two things working against each other. You have a flesh and you have a spirit. And your flesh is contrary to the things of God. So you've, you've got this inner turmoil going on. I want to do this, but I find myself struggling to do it. I don't want to do that anymore, but I find myself gravitating towards it. What is the issue? It's our flesh versus our spirit. And we got to find which one are we going to power up and which one are we going to shut down. This is what Reboot is about. This is why prayer and fasting is so valuable. I believe it's an opportunity to shut down the voice of your flesh. When you're fasting, there's nothing like saying no to food, to telling your flesh you're not in charge. I mean, it's, it's something like, because it's something that your body has to have. So when you, when you begin to fast food, not fast food, but you know, not like McDonald's, but you know, when you begin to do without food, see, your body starts saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, I run the show. We eat ding-dongs whenever I say so. This is my body running the show right here. This is what it is. Or, we, you know, we drink that whenever we want, or we do that whenever we want. And so we begin to, our flesh starts telling us what to eat and when to eat and how much to eat. And when you boot him off the conductor stand, and now your spirit takes over, and now you say, you know what, for this season, I'm going to seek after God and I'm not going to eat this or that. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to drink this. Whatever God puts in my heart to do. Then all of a sudden, my flesh starts screaming for salvation. And this is what's going to happen. When you have these two things that are opposing each other, your flesh lusts against the spirit. Now look what happens in verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So what we're wanting to do is going from being conducted or led by the flesh to be led by the Holy Spirit. 
We're wanting to empower the Spirit of God. Now, why is this important? The, the empowering the Spirit of God is not just for church. We're not empowering the Spirit of God so you'll be better at church. <laughs> Notice what the fruits of the Spirit were. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith, self-control, all those things. It's to experience those in life. God wants you to tap into those in every part of your life. Now look, look at the next part. Look at verse 16. So we're saying this. I need to power down the flesh. And I need to power up or reboot more of the spirit. How do we do it? How do we do it? Verse 16 tells us, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What is the directive in this verse? What is his instructions? Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, don't walk in the lust of the flesh and you will walk in the Spirit. It doesn't work that way. He says, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires or lusts of the flesh. It doesn't say you won't have them. It just says you won't fulfill them. The word fulfill means to bring to completion, to execute, to accomplish them. So when we're walking in the, in the Spirit, he says you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Sometimes people are, are discouraging themselves and dismissing themselves just because they have a desire of the flesh. We're still going to have desires of the flesh. It's just if we walk in the Spirit, we won't bring them to accomplishment. We won't bring them to execution. We won't act on them. We'll still have them, but we'll say, no, I'm choosing a different way. Because look what he says, walk in the Spirit. What does that mean to walk in the Spirit? <laughs> now, when you say walk in the Spirit... For people who don't, you know, just new to the Bible, you're like, what does that mean? Literally walk? It's like, how do I walk? Walking in the Spirit. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm floating. It doesn't mean to moonwalk. You know, it's not walking in the Spirit. It's not walking with certain kind of swag or anything like that. What does it mean, walk in the Spirit? It has nothing to do with how you literally walk. The word is made up of two Greek words, and it's really cool. It means to, it does mean to walk or tread all around. When you put the words together, it means to tread down a path, like pat down a path, tread down a path due to frequent travel. Whenever I grew up, we grew up next door to my grandma, Grandma Sam, and we used to walk from our house to her house and we walked there so frequently that we created a path that you could see where we walked. When you go to the Garden of the Gods or you go out in the woods, you go out there and you see most places will have paths where people have walked. They have cleared a path. This is what it's talking about. I want you to walk in the Spirit. I want you to walk so frequently that I want you to create a path. And when I say a path, it's not about everything always happening the way I want it to in my life and never having problems. Walking in the Spirit is simply this. Now hear me in this. Walking in the Spirit is learning to lean into God, to tap into the fruits of the Spirit so frequently, so often that I create a path to God in every situation. So when life hits you, do you have a path to the fruits of the Spirit or do you only have paths to the flesh? When someone pops off at you, do you have a path to the Spirit in that moment? It's like coming up 
into the woods and you see this path and you've always gone that way. But let's say for this illustration purposes, that's the path to the flesh. And God's wanting me to make a new path. This new path will not come about until I start walking on it. And when I first start, it's not going to be easy. But when some, someone hits you with hatred or animosity, do you have a path to love? Do you have a path to forgiveness? Or do you only respond from the flesh and the only path that you have is to selfishness, rejection, animosity? God says, Chad, I want you to walk in the Spirit so frequently, so closely, so that no matter what comes your way, you have a path to me. No matter what hits you, I wish I was talking about that the path meant that you never have any problems. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about when things happen, which path are you going to take? When she says that to you, and it gets you, and your flesh says, Rah! tell her how you feel, pop off, come on, give her a piece of your mind. Which path are you going to take? Are we going to take the path Maybe you've had temper issues, and so something happens, your path has always been go to that temper. But God said, hey, no, no, no. I want you to walk in the Spirit. I want you to walk towards peace. I want you to have a path to peace that no matter what happens, he says, you walk in the Spirit so much so that there's a way to me in whatever you're facing. And the only way can we can do this is if we crucify the flesh. The only way I can do it is in that moment when I'm stuck at the fork in the road and there's spirit and there's flesh. And the flesh path looks well-worn. It looks well-traveled. It looks like most people would go that direction. Most people would respond that way. This is when people say things to you like this. Well, I'll tell you what I'd do if I were you. Be careful listening to that voice. Be careful. Be careful. But this path will look, this is where I need to go. Man, everybody, I, you know, I can't help it. Everybody does that. What if God says, I want you to go on a different path? I want you to walk in joy when everybody else goes in the way of depression. Everyone else that's faced with your exact circumstances in the fork in the road, whether by their own choice or just because they didn't know they could do any different, they didn't know how they had any say-so, they gravitated towards the flesh and got this result. But you, in that moment, you realize, I've got a choice on how I respond to my spouse. I've got a choice in how I respond to those friends. I've got a choice in how I respond to those thoughts. I'm not going the way well-traveled. I'm going the way less traveled. So much so that people see you taking that direction, they go, how in the world do you do that with what's happening to you? I know what's going on in your life. How in the world are you? How come you're not telling them this? How come you're not doing this? How come you're not responding this way? You ought to be doing this. If I were you, I'd be going crazy. I know, but I took the path of peace. I took the path of joy. When the path of pain was calling my name, Wanting me to go down the way. But my Bible says that my God will lead me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. And you say, God, I'm going to choose the path of the spirit instead of the path of the flesh. 
It takes no courage to go down the path of the flesh. The path of human nature and flesh happens naturally. But God says, and I don't have time to go into it now, but in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says if we'll use the word of God, he'll literally begin to allow us to be partakers of his divine nature. And what happens is, I, I would say this like Paul, I have far from arrived. I got lots of work to do. But I don't take the same path I used to for the same problem. Used to when this thing, whatever you want to call it, would pop up, I would go this direction. But now... I've allowed and learned how to lean into the Spirit and choose His Word, choose faith, choose what God says, and now where my natural leaning wants to go this way, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to say it, I want to say it, I want to say it. No, I'm not going to do it. Why? Because I'm choosing to walk in the Spirit. So this is my prayer for you, prayer for all of us, that this time, during this series. We're going to reboot some things. We're going to shut down the flesh and we're going to say, you know what, God? I'm powering up my spirit and I'm going to start habitually living, leaning into walking in the spirit so much so that now I start seeing a clear path to God where before I couldn't see God in it at all. I couldn't have any hope. There was no hope for my life, but now I have a clear path. But we may have to shut down because we Listen, we're still going to come to the fork in the road. A path to God doesn't mean we'll never have to make a choice. I still have to make choices. I still have to say no to my flesh. I have to literally crucify my flesh as it says in the scripture. Why? Because my flesh wants to be the conductor. My flesh wants to run the show. So the only way I can get out of it is I say no to my flesh and I say yes to the Spirit and I choose the hard answer. I choose the one less traveled. I choose the response that other people say, no, you shouldn't do it. You have a right to do that, Chad. I tell you what, you got a right to act that way. Hey, look what they did to you. Look what they said to you. You absolutely have every right to do that. Careful. My right is the right of my flesh. But the Bible says that I'm not my own, I've been bought with a price. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.